You are listening to Love Your Practice with Dr. Laura Mock. I'm a general dentist, a practice owner, and a certified life coach. I teach women who own dental practices to lead with intention and literally fall in love with their businesses. Keep listening and you will see how learning to love your practice turns into loving your life too. Hey ladies, have you ever been in the middle of a clinical day when your assistant or your hygienist or someone who works for you does something that you want them to do a little bit different or maybe a lot different? Maybe you're a little bit irked or you're furious. Either way, I have felt the pain of being in the middle of taking care of humans and not being able to take the time right then and there to be the manager as well. And then what happens typically is we get to the end of the clinical day and we still haven't talked to that person about what we want them to do differently. And there's two reasons for that. One is because we really are busy. We really are. But the other one is that there's reasons our brain will give us not to have that conversation. It's uncomfortable. And we don't know exactly what we're going to say or how we're going to do it. We don't know how to have a conversation about positive changes that don't turn frustrating for the recipient or for us or both. And the thing is that I have had so many clients come to me and complain about this problem that I have actually made a course just for you, you female dental owners, and it doesn't cost anything at all. (laughs) I made it for you for free. It's deeper than I can go in just a podcast. So what I did was I put the whole course together in a, um, a little online bundle. And all you do is text me to get the course. So I have this number set up. It's 66866. Such an easy number to remember. And you just text the words, love your employees to the number, but you can't leave any spaces between the words or it won't come back. Correct. I don't know what you'll get if you leave a space, but so your autocorrect will want you to leave spaces there. You got to go back in and delete the spaces. Love your employees to 66866. And the next time someone does something in your practice that you want to change, you will have a very easy system that smooths out the speed bumps that our brain wants to put in place for us to not do the thing. But trust me, I have helped many women do this before. It's a tried and true plan. I use it myself, text the number, and then I'll see you in the course. Well, hey, ladies. Hello. How's everybody doing? Welcome back. It's been a little bit since I've made a podcast episode for you, but I'm here today, Dr. Laura Mock, um, to teach you about how to love your practice and how to just enjoy your dentisting journey. Today, I'm back with an episode um, interviewing Dr. Rich Maddow, who is basically a dental legend. Um, He had a fulfilling career as a dentist, and now he coaches and consults for other practices. And he's just a light and a dear um, and just a, a source of never ending energetic happiness. And the happiness is what we talk about. So listen in to this interview and I'll see you on the other side. Thanks, ladies. Okay, so I would like to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rich Matto. Dr. Matto, thank you so much for joining us today. Dr. Laura, it is my pleasure. I'm so impressed with what you are doing, not just practicing dentistry, which is impressive on its own. I mean, let's face it, 
Mm -hmm. Practicing dentistry can be tough, so that's impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, just that feat alone, but the fact that you have chosen to help other dentists, and especially that you've kind of, like I have, ventured off into that non-clinical territory, which can get pretty difficult because as dentists, you know, we're all difficult people with a lot of hangups and craziness. <laughs> why, why are we that way? Why we is we it? just are difficult. We're just like, you know how in Marine Corps, they kind of break your spirit down and then they rebuild you into a Marine. I have this theory that they do that in dental school too. Like we just cry enough that we've erased ourselves as a person. And then we become <laughs> back, we come rebirthed during that wow. freshman year, waxing up number nine or whatever, just like really picky critical of ourselves and and then you know you get into these clinical grooves and you just are happy to see your nice contact and your sharp margin and, and all those things and so it's hard to think about doing something else but I do enjoy the duality of my weeks because I'm helping people in one way and then I change gears and I help people in another way and both of them are very satisfying but thank you I appreciate it. It is my pleasure. And I, I know what it's like too, because you know, I always think it's great treating patients, but if you really help a dentist, then you've helped 2000 patients. And then you help another dentist, you've helped another 2000. So it's, it's helping uh, people in a geometric fashion in a way, For which sure. I really, really enjoy thinking of. And don't forget their employees and their employees' children, because that trickles. You know, if there's an unhappy dentist and they're treating their employees in an unhappy way, then we have the employees and their families having to go home and be burdened by working for a grumpy person. And that's not even very wow. fun either. You're right. Maybe the world will not be good until every dentist is happy and then the world will be a beautiful place. We're just saving the world one dentist at a time, Rich. <laughs> so by in like 22,000 years, we should be done. I will be completely finished. Check. <laughs> How are your, um, your clients doing? Because you consult, right? You consult other dentists. Yes. How are they doing? This is a hard time. It's a hard time, but I got to say, our clients are doing really, really well. You know, I like to think it's because we have an incredible coaching team, which I know we do, but I think it's also because um, we take the, uh, we, we have a lot of happiness in our approach. We want to make sure the dentists and the team um, get along with one another before one patient even comes in. We want to make sure they understand that their mission is not really to make a ton of money, you know, decided upon by a set goal, but to create healthy patients. And if you create healthy patients and a happy team, you'll make more money without even realizing it. Yeah. So I think, you know, in these times of post-COVID and DSOs and all those things, I think when we're working with um, individual practice owners like you do and like I do, we've got to focus on things other than just monetary goals if we're going to have success with our clients. And, and you know, for those reasons, I would say our clients are doing really, really well. I'm so pleased with the way everyone's doing Revenues too, let's face it, making a lot of money is great, but you know, you got to enjoy yourself. I mean, if you're enjoying yourself, I think you do make more money. Like you just appeal to people more. They trust you more. You know, have you ever walked into a doctor's office and at the front desk, someone goes, name, date of birth. <laughs> you know, you can just tell that they have a horrible oh, job. Man. And then they, then they just like pass a clipboard without saying anything. I know. Exactly. I, I'd like to think that's physicians much more so than dentists. Although I've certainly seen dental practices it, that are it like is. that. It's worse in the physician's world, but just like then you come into a dental practice where it's well-managed and the people in front have good jobs and they're like, hey, how are you? 
you know, that changes how a patient acts as a customer, right? It really does. I think wherever you go, whether it's a Starbucks or a jeans store or a car dealership, um, you can tell if people actually want to be there and it makes such a big difference in your attitude and then your desire to purchase from them. Yeah, for sure. Well, this is like really appropriate because we decided months ago, like literally November, when we were like, let's do a podcast together. Um, we decided we were going to talk about happiness. Oh, what a great topic. What an impossible topic. <laughs> it is, but it's so important because when you're not happy, you just, you show up differently for yourself and your employees and your patients. But when you're happy, when you really feel it deep inside, not when you're pretending to be happy, that's different. When you feel it and when everything is aligned, then that's when the magic happens. That's when I'm like, yes, I love my practice. So, so true. It's so funny. We're, we're just right now working with um, kind of a marketing guy on a new landing page for our coaching. And he just sent us a couple of examples. I mean, this just happened this morning. Mm -hmm. And one of the headlines was something like, Dennis, are you tired of the drudgery? And I just thought, what a great word, a bad word, but what a great word to describe how so many dentists feel. It's just drudgery, the excitement of, you know, even something simple like doing a beautiful restoration or having a patient smile happily. It, it just kind of fades away for some dentists and it's really sad. It is sad. It's such a waste. And I feel bad. I feel bad for the dentist and their patients and their employees when it starts to feel like drudgery. But you know, I have to be honest with you with the way things are set up between how we're educated, dental insurance companies, um, dental supply companies, and, and the fact that we weren't ever prepared to be employers and managers. It's kind of set up like it automatically funneling us to drudgery unless we do something about it. Would you agree? I totally agree. And there are people who say that um, the dental school admissions process is all wrong, that it shouldn't just focus on, um, you know, abilities to get A's in biochemistry and, and someone that comes in for the interview and says, I'm really good with my hands. I make model cars, which is great. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with that. It's really cool if you have the hand skills, so to speak. But I think maybe we're not screening applicants in the right way because you have to be a leader um, and you have to want to employ people if you want to do the traditional model of owning your own practice, Correct. if you want to. And I know some people go into dentistry now with the expectation that they'll be employed by Aspen. Are we allowed to say Aspen on your podcast? Yeah, the word, yeah. <laughs> and, it's not dirty you know, here. Yeah, it's kind of dirty. And, um, you know, <laughs> and they'll make a nice salary and they'll never have to worry about um, employing people. Even so, when you're a doctor, you're a leader. I mean, even if you're working for a DSO or an associate at another dental office, you still have team members that look up to you, that you're their boss, whether you own the practice or not. You still have patients that are looking to you for your expertise and your leadership in a different way. So there's really no way out of it, is there? There's not. And I, well, I have a question for you. In 1980, when you started dental school, were you like, I'm going to dental school because I want to be a manager? <laughs> Well, manager is not the right word. So I never said that. I'll agree with you. But I knew I wanted to own my own practice. Mm -hmm. um, I knew I wanted to have my own business. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs and business owners. Um, I have two older brothers. Who, one was already a dentist. One was in dental school. So I think I knew more than the typical applicant. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, too. I know so many dental students have parents who are or were dentists. And I think they have a little bit more of an idea of what they're getting into. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. But you're right. So many of us are thrown into the fire, clueless and beaten down. They just want to work with their hands and help people. They don't want Susie to come in and ask for a raise or, you know, extra vacation or whatever. They don't know what to do with that. Agree. Yeah. None of us like that. Let's face it. <laughs> no, matter, no matter how good of a leader you are, right? All right. <laughs> something so, we look forward to. Tell me, tell me about this this happiness theory that you have. I want to hear it. Ah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, there's something that's called the negative happiness equation, and the negative happiness equation means that, um, let's face it, some of the things I know money doesn't buy happiness. I'm the first one to say that, but. Some of the things that we love to do to make us happy involve having a, you know, an income of some sort. We'd like to go on vacations. We like to go to dinner. We want to have our Netflix subscription. We have our hobbies, whether that's golf or music or, you know, flying airplane. I don't care what it is. You need an income to support these things that are fun, fun, fun to do that we look forward to. Mm -hmm. And that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but so many dentists I find have a negative happiness equation, which means they've kind of made a deal with themselves. And the deal is something like, I really don't like dentistry that much. I'm actually kind of miserable, or maybe it's drudgery. It's not something I look forward to, but I know I have to put in my four to 4.5 to five days in the dental office so that I can earn the money to go have fun on the weekends. And it's kind of like the TGIF attitude. Like I've been working my butt off all week, not enjoying myself, but TGIF, it's Friday. Have fun. Um, and then you find that, okay, you're not happy in your dental practice, which totally sucks, but you're looking forward to that weekend. But then it's Sunday at 4 p.m. and you start getting the Sunday night blues and you think, oh man, if I got to get in that car tomorrow. And then Monday morning, you're in your car driving to the office and you feel sick to your stomach. And then it gets worse. You've got your vacation planned, your one week vacation that's so much fun, but you're so unhappy at the office that it takes you two or three days during your vacation to unwind. Then maybe on Wednesday, you're having a good time. Then on Thursday, you'll start thinking about returning to the office again, and the whole thing is over. That's a negative happiness equation. We've made a deal with ourselves that we're going to be unhappy at work in order to earn the money and the time to enjoy ourselves when we're not at work, and it's just not a good way to go. It's probably extra insidious because by the time you realize you're doing it, you also owe, owe a bank like a million dollars. Right. <laughs> Just a million dollars. <laughs> a big deal. You bought it or you built it or whatever. And so you kind of tell yourself that you're trapped in that and that you don't have any way out of it. It's so true. I call that the golden handcuffs. And, you know, a lot of that goes beyond just debt to open your practice and buy equipment, pay off your student loans, all those things. Sometimes dentists feel like, well, I'm a dentist. I should be driving a Mercedes. Of course, I'm a dentist. I should have the best house on the block with the nicest landscaping. I'm a dentist. My kids should go to private school and on and on and on and on. And it's not even necessarily to show off. It's just sometimes it is. But sometimes it's just you think, well, this is what dentists do. You know, dentists, yeah. dentists don't drive. Um, Hyundai Sonatas. And I have nothing against Hyundai Sonatas. They're great cars. I don't know why I even said that car. But, you know, they think, Dennis drive Porsches. I'm going to go get a Porsche. So then you, you have that attitude and you get more and more into the golden handcuffs. And um, fortunately, I've never really had debt issues. But I would imagine that if you're working with the primary goal of paying off debt, that's not fun. It's not very satisfying, is it? It just yeah. feels heavy. And then you're like, it I got to talk this patient into doing two crowns instead of one so that I can pay off my mortgage or I got to 
find more work to do. And then you're like acting like a hungry dentist instead of like one who's like, you know, invested with the patient in what's right for the patient. I got to tell you, go, if you don't mind a tangent for a second, what you just said, just remind me, I was speaking with a young dentist a couple weeks ago, um, and he's really into ethical, high quality dentistry, which was so nice to see. And he said, I thought of this question. And, and that is, if a dentist made the same amount of profit on a three surface bonded restoration that they did on a crown, would we be doing a lot more three surface bonded restorations? I thought, wow, what an interesting question. I'm not saying I have the answer, but I think we all know what the answer is. I have a comment. Please. An enthusiastic comment. I, I nerd out about this subject all the time, but I just want everybody to know I do get paid <laughs> for like a large resin. I get paid the same as a crown because I do bioclear overlays. Have you heard of that? Yeah, somebody was just telling me about it a couple of weeks they ago. They are amazing. Yeah. I will text you some of the pictures of what I put together. And I say to the patient, you can get a crown and your insurance will help you pay for it. But I have to shave off the sides and the top or I can do an overlay and use injection molding to save the tooth structure that's left for you and, and secure the crack and the weakness this other way. And the patients invariably, they will pay out of pocket the difference and get the overlay instead. So that's wow. a pretty good question that your, your young dentist asked. And I think, you know, I think we're going that way if we can get out of the insurance mindset where the insurance tells us how much we can charge for different fees. Yeah. So it's really interesting. So you're saying you're just generally your profit is about the same, whether you do the BioClear overlay or a crown. And that way you're not influenced, whether consciously or subconsciously by profit, you're influenced by what's best for the patient. And you find you're doing fewer crowns. Is that what's going on? Way fewer, way fewer. Mm -hmm. wow. yeah. And nobody ever calls me sore because I didn't have to shave down their tooth. Well, they call you Lara. Yeah, <laughs> Dr. Laura in my office though. <laughs> you know, when I was a young practitioner, so you already gave it away that I graduated dental school in 84. Jeez, people are going to think I'm like, you know, um, a senior citizen here. I guess I am, I'm 64. Um, <laughs> when I was a young practitioner, I really, really thought it was a great idea to use coaches and consultants. And I still think it's a great idea. And I am one now. Yeah. But I hired yeah. one coaching company and, and they said, okay, this is how, and they like had their, their little spiels every month. Didn't, they didn't know anything about me or my practice. They said this to every practice, which I, I learned was, you know, a bad thing, but they said, okay, we're going to learn how to increase revenues this month. And what we're going to do is any patient that has a three surface or greater restoration, whether it's intact or not, we're going to prescribe a crown because let's face it, that restoration is going to fail eventually. So let's be proactive and do a crown on it. And that was the I think the next day I fired this company. It's like, are you serious? Oh my yes, God. That's a lot of drilling, a lot of drilling. Yep. Yeah. Probably a lot of profit too at, at uh, people's expense. Yeah, but we digress because we were talking about, oh yeah, the happiness experiment and um, not experiment, sorry, negative happiness equation. Right. Uh, I can't remember how we got onto overlays. I am sorry. <laughs> I'll take the blame. I love tangents. As long as, as long as your listeners are enjoying them, you know. <laughs> Hopefully they're still listening. Guys, don't hang up yet. <laughs> they are still listening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So how how do let's pretend I'm 
I'm listening to this podcast and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing that. I'm paying my dues at the first part of the week so that I can enjoy later. How, what do I do next? How do I get out of it? You mean not counting the five years of intense psychotherapy? Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about maybe some starter exercises, okay? I'm a big believer that so much of this has to do with the, with the relationship the dentist has with the team. Because patients are patients. Uh, you know, we're seeing people at their worst. That's one thing you got to realize. We're often seeing people at their worst. And, and you've got to develop that compassion and patience to deal with dental patients. And that's a given. And of course, giving them great treatment, that should be a given as well. But I think what's not always taught or, or assumed as a given is the way that the dentist and the team members interact with one another. And I know it's a cliche, but let's face it, our team members are our work family. They absolutely are. We spend so much time with them, in many cases, more time than we spend with our real family. And it's a different relationship and there's you know, more pressure. It's just a tough relationship. And I feel that so many dentists don't really get along well with their teams. And I find that so many teams don't get along well with one another. And I don't know about you, I do not want to come into an office every day. And we've all been through this, I'm sure, where I'm worried about what kind of mood, I, I'll just, I hate to use names because I know there's some great person now with this name listening, but you know, what kind of mood Sally's going to be in and are Linda and Margaret going to be fighting with one another? And is Janine even going to show up? And, you know, and, and did so-and-so have a fight with their boyfriend the night before? Who wants to come in every day worrying about that kind of stuff? We've got enough to worry about giving our patients excellent treatment. Yet I find it happens in way more than half the dental practices. Team members don't get along with one another. Doctor doesn't want to be with the team for those reasons. They don't get along. The team members are maybe saying, I wonder what kind of mood Dr. Rich is going to be in today. All those things make for a really negative atmosphere in the dental practice. So if somebody were to ask me, like you just did, what are some starter things we can do to get rid of the negative happiness equation? I think it starts with a relationship between the doctor and the team, and then the team members between one another on the team. And um I don't know. I can maybe give you some little tips to start improving that situation. I'm sure you probably have some as well. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's go back and forth and um, and give some tips for improving our relationship with our team members. All right. Okay. Are you going first? <laughs> uh, it's your it's your show. You can go first. It's fine. Oh gosh. Well, um, I find that um, active listening with respect is very important. Um, my team knows that if they have a problem, they can come to me and I'm going to sit down, invite them to sit down and I'm going to listen until they're done talking. And during that time, I might even take notes. Even if they're saying things I don't agree with, I'm taking notes of what they're saying so that they know I am actively hearing what they have to say. And then I say it back to them what you're saying is you feel blah, blah, blah. Is that right? And they say, yes, thank you. And like just the, the act of being heard, that experience changes their brain so that they don't have to be in such a defensive mode, right? So that yes. listening is so important. And all of my team know because I've shown them over and over again, they have a problem, come inside, let's talk about it. You know, I'm going to, extend that before I give one of my tips and just say, 
let's use that skill with our patients as well, because so many times we know the patient's wrong, right? They start complaining about, well, you said this and the insurance company said that, and you know they're wrong. But instead of thinking you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, clear your mind and listen to what they have to say. And even if they're wrong on some points, they might be right on others. And even if they're wrong on every point, this is their perspective. And if you're going to have a good dialogue with them and try to help them, it's really important to understand their perspective. So what you said is so true. Let's not think in terms of right or wrong. Let's listen, listen, listen to what the other person has to say with a clear mind. I love that. Okay, yeah. now we go. <laughs> okay, well, I'm gonna, I think the, the tips that I'm giving are maybe much more simple. Maybe I'm just a simpleton. I don't know. But they're just easy things that anybody can do tomorrow. Here's one thing that I started doing this on day one of my dental career without realizing I was doing it. And, and some team members started telling me how much they appreciated it. And I just thought it was what normal human beings do. And that is, if you're a dentist, every single morning, greet your team members one by one, each one sincerely. I mean, it just means go up to your team. Let's pretend you're a team member. I'll come in in the morning and say, Laura, great to see you. Hey, did you see the, the Iowa basketball game last night? They were amazing. Just something like that. A little bit of lightweight conversation has nothing to do with dentistry. Each one personally greeted. And then at the end of each workday, same thing, but backwards, a sincere thank you and good night to every single team member. I've been in so many dental practices where the dentist kind of comes in in a huff, doesn't recognize anybody, and they leave the exact same way. Who wants to be around someone like that? Our team members, let's face it, these days, I don't want to say it too loud. But they could probably find jobs at any other dental practice oh, if they wanted. Absolutely good. So I'm not saying that we should kiss their butts and kowtow to them unnecessarily, but let's treat them with the respect and, and thankfulness that they deserve. Mm -hmm. So I just find hellos in the morning, goodbyes at night, little lightweight talk, sincerely done is magic. I love that. They're just, um, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about how dental employees want to feel. And it is my theory that they want to feel appreciated and helpful. Well, that's why they went into dentistry in the first place. They wanted to feel helpful and everybody wants to feel appreciated. And so acknowledging that isn't very hard. It just costs you a little air in your lungs to let your tongue and your lips say a thing. You know what I mean? Yep. So it's easy to do. Even if you're disappointed in something else they're doing, you can still greet them. We started doing a thing, I think maybe four or five years ago, where we huddle in the evening too. So I just ring a bell because I don't want to go get everybody. I just ring the bell and everybody, I know, I have to bring their crumpets and their, no, um, they just, we gather, we say, thank you. We say what went well. And I say, does anybody need to say anything before we go home? Anything off your chest? No. Okay. Anybody need help before we leave? And then they exchange who needs help and we go home. I love that one. So that was a great tip. And it kind of leads into one that I wanted to give as well. And that is speaking of huddles. Um, you know, I, I think I've been in hundreds, thousands, I don't know, millions of dental practices. And I'm amazed how many don't have any form of huddle at all in the morning, let alone in the evening, which I think is an incredibly great idea. And one of the reasons they don't is because the dentist struts in at the same time or five minutes after the first patient's appointment. It's like, this is a guaranteed way to have a chaotic, disorganized, unproductive day. I don't know how they can do it. Docs, 
if for some reason you can't get there till nine, I don't know what the reason could possibly be, but if there's some reason you can't get there till nine, then schedule the first patient at 9.30. You've got to have a well-organized huddle, I'd say at least 30 minutes before the first patient. So that means first patients at nine, everybody needs to be there and ready to work, not just you know lumbering in, ready to work at 8.30. And now the huddle, I found that some practices that have huddles, the huddles are horrible. They're tense and laborious, and they go through every single patient looking at old radiographs, trying to find treatment to do. To that's, that's not the way to have a huddle. The huddle to me is to, first of all, get off the day, get the day off on the right foot. So it can be lightweight stories, jokes, motivational quotes, absolutely necessary in the huddle. But it's also to predict the flow of the day. This is what our schedule looks like. Oh, remember, um, Mrs. Jones is a gagger. Let's make sure we don't put her seat back all the way and give her some time to sit up. Those kinds of things. And then look at your schedule. Where can we put an emergency in? Where can we put a new patient in? Who's likely to no-show? Who can we be ready to move down if this patient does no-show? All those things to make your day much more organized. But, uh, you know, this isn't like a, the two-minute drill in football where you do the huddle-free offense. That does not work in dentistry. You got to have the huddle, have the day well organized. Then maybe 10 minutes before the first patient, take a little breather, go have a few sips of coffee, joke around a little bit before the craziness starts and everybody's in a good mood and organized when that first patient does come in. That sounds like an amazing huddle. I bet your huddles when you were in practice were like, okay, I'm going to get out my guitar and sing a song for you. I, many times, many times I did. Our huddles were fun, but they were also really productive. I mean, yeah. I love fun, but you know, you're not there just to have fun. You've got to do great things for your patients as well. So I think we, we did both. Mm -hmm. And a, a stressful huddle, I can't stand. I've been in huddles where they're pointing fingers at people, like, why didn't this patient reappoint? And blah, blah, blah. Ugh, that, that's for a different yeah, that's time. It's not the time. We, if, we come up, if we realize there's a problem during the huddle, we put it on our meeting agenda. We don't try to point fingers at, why did you put this here, that type of thing. We say, maybe we need to re-talk about how we're doing our scheduling. Put it on the agenda for the meeting. So that the day perfect. Go well. Perfect. Okay, I got one. Yes. Um, I believe in a trickle down when it comes to spoiling. So I prefer, I love to spoil my team so that they will spoil my patients. And I get so much joy out of seeing my patients get pampered. And they love it. When I come in and they have a blanket and a pillow that my employee got for them, I'm like, yes. You know what I mean? And so I give my team an exorbitant amount of vacation. And some, pay, some dentists might say, that's too expensive. How can you afford to do that? And I'm like, I can't afford not to because they come back so refreshed, so ready to recommend ideal care to the patients and to do that thing where the patients know they're in a special place. Love that. That's great. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's really interesting. I think people who, pamper others and enjoy pampering others. Also, they enjoy being pampered and it means so much to them. And they, it's like a whole cycle. So that's really, yeah, I love the lots of vacations. They're so happy and they're like, thank you. I would never go yeah. anywhere else. And that's fun too. Uh, that's the line you want to hear. Yeah. Um, so, okay. My next one, if you don't mind, I'll tell a little story. I'll try to make it compact, but I think it's really important to understand okay. this concept. Um, and this is something I call the seating chart rule. Seating chart rule. So, 
I was going to say a few years ago, but it's probably many years ago by now. Um, Dave and I, Dave is my brother, Dr. David Meadow. He's my partner at the Meadow Center. And we were having our annual holiday party. And it was, a, you know, one of the big fancy steakhouses in downtown Baltimore. Um, and we had, I think, 16 team members at the time, 16, 17, something like that. So Dave and I always hey. get to every, yeah, we, yeah it's, hey, it's a big operation, man. What can yeah. I say? So, um, so we got there real early because we get to everything early. We had like a semi-private room with a big oval table. And one of the reasons we got there early was to put down the place card so everybody knew where to sit. And we're putting down the place cards and we're saying, well, we can't put Mar we can't put Margaret next to Harry because they really don't get along. They're going to fight all night. So we're, let's separate them. And we can't put Lisa next to Jennifer because, you know, they're best buddies. They're going to be telling inside jokes and whispering and pointing at other people and rolling <laughs> their eyes. So we can't put them next to each other. And, you know, hell if I'm sitting next to Linda and so on and so on and so on. And we're arranging the seating chart because some people don't get along with others. Some people get along too well. So they're like making fun of everybody else. I don't, there are people that work for me in my own business that I don't want to sit next to. And after a few minutes of this, we looked at each other and said, this is crazy. It's like, why do we have to do this? Why do we work with people every day if they don't get along with one another? Why do we work with people every day if they're backstabbing and pointing fingers? Why do we work with people every day that we don't even want to sit next to? We said, this is it. We are, our goal is next year, we're going to come to the same dinner at the same table with no seating chart. Does that mean we're going to start firing people? Hopefully not. But it means some people are going to get what, you know, in Iowa, you might call a good talking to. I just have a feeling you might say that in Iowa. I don't know. So, talking to? <laughs> a good talking like I'm to. hunting or fishing, but it's a talking something, to? <laughs> something like that. Um, but it means anybody who is, you know, exhibiting these negative behaviors, we're going to give in a positive way every chance to improve that behavior, to understand why this doesn't work in our office. Um, and if after a certain period of time they can't figure it out, well, then they're going to have to find a job elsewhere. And it also means when we have job openings, which can happen for good reasons, um, you know, pregnancies, geographic moves because something great happened in their family, you know, for a number of reasons, there are good reasons why people leave and bad reasons. But whenever somebody leaves for any reason and we hire a new person, one of our main criteria is they have to pass the seating chart rule, which means we're going to interview them. Team members will interview them. It doesn't mean we have to go best. Be, doesn't mean we have to be best friends. It doesn't mean we have to go on vacation together. That could be dangerous too, in a different way. But it does mean that this is a person that at a dinner, cocktail party, continuing education course, whatever it is, we would gladly sit next to this person and enjoy their company. And I call that the seating chart rule. And we said this is it from now on. Whenever we hire somebody or whenever we talk to somebody about how to improve their job performance, it has to involve the seating chart rule. Sure enough, a year later, had the dinner, no place cards were necessary. We passed the seating chart rule. Everybody got along with one another and it just made work so much more pleasant. That's amazing. And I have to tell you that there's probably some people listening to this right now who are like, but I can't follow that rule because I can't hire people. Um, because we have a shortage in team members right now, right? And I just want to talk to anyone who's saying that to themselves right now. When we are afraid of our team or our practice, we don't lead the way we intended to lead. And so I would invite you to look at that belief or that, that sentence that you're saying to yourself that you can't hire who you want. And I would question it and ask yourself, is that a fact? 
or is it something that you've you've been talking to yourself about? I'm not going to argue with them about whether it's hard to hire or not, because I'm sure it is. But the thing is that if we lead in a way where we're afraid, and so we keep people on, even when they have negative personalities, we're going to end up in that situation where we have to make a seating chart. And that's one of those things where with the golden handcuffs, you know, and the negative. I, yes, it's a different form of the golden handcuffs. You're so right. And when I think back to my early days in practice, when I was a weak leader, um, I put up with so much. Am I allowed to say SHI? I put up with I put up with so much shit from my team members that nobody in their right mind except the dentist would have put up with because I was afraid to try to find someone else. Um, I was afraid to approach them about it, certainly afraid to fire everybody. And then just like you said, I was worried about where the next person would come from. Um, and because of that, I put up with so much stuff that I shouldn't have put up with. And then it's a bad example for the other team members. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know, since I'm a music lover, I'll say it's kind of like if you have a great stereo system, it's only as good as the worst component. So if you've got great speakers and a great receiver, but you're playing your music streaming from an iPhone, it's only going to sound so good. And it's the same thing. If you've got one weak team member, it brings everyone down. Yes. And that leads me to my next thing, which was that we made a list of team agreements. We agree to each other. And that includes that we don't subgroup or talk about each other. Our agreement is that if there is a problem in the practice, we agree to talk to a person who can do something about that problem instead of, you know, uh, give an example. I'd love, I'd love a little clarity on that. Do you have an example? And so like, let's pretend that the front desk put somebody in at a time that the assistants thought was inappropriate. You know, maybe it ruined our mojo in the back. So the old way would be the assistants going, did you see where they put that patient? Oh my gosh, that is so annoying, you know, and start a little club against the front desk. Whereas if we curiously go to the front desk and we go, hey, what's going on with this patient and start a conversation about what's going on, then we are solving problems together instead of doing the thing where we talk about each other. I love that. I've got kind of a rule too that I can piggyback off of that one on. Um, and that is, and this was a rule in my office too, and it, it almost sounds a little silly, but um, the rule was we would never say anything about anyone else, whether it's a fellow team member, doctor, patient, vendor, member of the community, anyone. We would never say anything about another person that we wouldn't say if they were standing right in front of us, mm -hmm. which means Mrs. Jones is late again for the third time. Let's face it. We all storm into the break room and say, what is with that idiot? Mrs. Jones, how stupid is she? We confirmed her three times. We told her how important she's inconsiderate. Well, you wouldn't say that if she were standing. I hope you wouldn't say that if she were standing right there. So, and it sounds a little silly when you first start doing it, but instead we say something like, oh, Mrs. Jones missed her appointment again. It was the second time in a row. Maybe she didn't understand the importance of getting this crown done. Maybe we didn't do the right job of of confirming or you know letting her know that this time was reserved specifically for her or maybe she's just not the kind of person that is really good at keeping appointments so if that's the case let's figure out a way we can work with her to make her relationship better with our practice um and it just made life so much more pleasant and that and by the same token like you're saying you wouldn't form the little gossip in the back complaining to another team member about something they can't control instead you would talk to the person who can control it in a nice way mm -hmm. um and, and if you're gossiping to the person in the back, remember, 
you can't say anything about the great person at the front desk that you wouldn't say if she were standing right there. So I kind of joined into your rule, maybe from a different angle. Yeah, no, that sounds like a really good rule of thumb. I'm thinking about how that would be challenging. <laughs> it, it is challenging. And sometimes we even made fun of the, you know, kind of played it up to the point of exaggeration just to make fun of the rule just for yeah. some levity. Cause you yeah. know, it's not always easy. And sometimes it does come off as kind of goofy, yeah. but but on the other hand, it really does work. And even when you're kind of making fun of your own rule in a goofy way, I felt it helped to reinforce it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that sounds like it, it creates a little bit of team speak where you have like an inner language where you understand only would understand each other if you were in the team, right? Well, Mrs. Jones might not really understand the importance of her crown because she's not here again. Using a lot of air quotes. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh gosh. Well, do you have another? Because I have one more. Yeah, two more. They're, they're both really simple. And I know we're probably getting close to the end of the feeling we've known here. So um, I'll, I'll just do a couple of really simple ones. One, as a coach myself and since you're a coach as well I think we all know this one but it's good to talk about it anyway and that is when something goes wrong blame a system not a person mm -hmm. so this only works if you have the right protocols and systems in your practice for everything and it doesn't mean you have to have a thousand pages of manuals and stuff that nobody's ever going to look at but it means that there are rules and systems for everything you do in your practice, whether it's dealing with a late patient, setting up a, a room for endo or whatever it is, this is how we do it. And everybody knows how we do it. Now, when something goes wrong, you can blame the system or the protocol, not the person. And I just find nobody likes to be blamed for anything, but if you can say, hey, this, this didn't work, how can we improve the system? Even if the system is accountability. So that's kind of blaming a person, but let's say, let's restructure the system so, you know, our lead assistant knows that she's accountable for this instead of saying, Jane messed up again, blah, 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 blah. blame the system, not a person, just a yeah. good overall rule. Yeah, I love that. That's that nobody wants to be blamed. They want to feel helpful and appreciated and they will act better when they do. So if there is a problem, pointing out um, where our, the weakness in our system is, is a much more effective way to get what you actually want than saying you did that. Totally agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. This is my last one. And then you can give yours and then we'll close. Um, we have a work hard, play hard attitude in our practice. So we celebrate together, not just with our evening huddles, holiday parties. We'll set a goal and take a trip, or we'll just go out for drinks to celebrate someone's birthday. And um, that time, that downtime, when we share personal things that we can't talk about in front of patients, or when we just are there to have a good time, that's really created stronger bonds between us. So important. I just love that. And I, I just think about how many practices, and it's kind of a, a reflection of the seating chart rule as well. How many kind of practices are in a situation when, you know, the whistle blows metaphorically at 5 p.m. The last thing in the world you want to do is go get a drink or have fun with your team members. And that's just, it shouldn't be that way. So I love that. Okay, my last one's going to be so simple, and I'm going to feel like a kindergarten teacher here. Okay. But it's so true. The magic words that you learned in kindergarten are still the magic words as adults, and they are please and thank you. And, you know, we're not, fortunately, because this is not what we signed up for, we're not doing heart surgery here. It's not scalpel, sutures, or someone's going to die. Mm -hmm. You know, you can say, 
Can you please hand me the mirror? Thank you. Can you please start mixing the bonding agent? Thank you. Can you please make sure that this patient gets in tomorrow, 10 a.m., you know, for their follow-up? Thank you. It just makes, and, and again, it all has to be done sincerely, but little things like saying please and thank you all the time, mm-hmm. it just makes a world of difference. And it's so easy. It doesn't cost anything. Anyone can do it. So it's just kindness. Just they're all, you know, be kind to everyone. It is so cheap to say something nice, but it creates so much value because like I said, the dental employees, they want to feel helpful and appreciated. And remember how we feel dictates how we act. So we want our employees to act in a way where they're reaching out to the patients, where they're offering a pillow where they're listening to them or, or whatever, we need to cultivate their feeling appreciated and thank and helpful. And so saying please and thank you is absolutely like it's free and it's so effective. Yep. And how many times like, you know, you're treating a patient and you seat the crown and you know, bite, floss, bite, okay, sit up, bite. How's that feel? Oh, it feels great. How's that look? Oh, it looks really nice. And then you just turn to your assistant and say, um, Gene, you did an amazing job here today. Yeah, great team. Why not? Why yeah. not? And in front of a patient too, why not? I'm going to try that. Please I, do. I, I, tell, I tell them thank you all the time, but I never turn to the assistant and go, nice work today, Erica, or whatever. I'm going to do that. Do it. Do it. All right. Yeah. See, I'm teaching the teacher. I, well, we're both teachers though, aren't we? Right. We're learners. <laughs> That's what makes Yep. Learn. Oh, always learners. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been so fun. I knew we would have a good time when um, we started emailing each other. So um, do you want to have any last words? How do people get a hold of you? Do you have your own podcast? What is if people are like this rich Maddow guy? I need more of him. Well, if you need more of me, a few things you can do. One thing is you can go to our website, which is just maddow.com. It's M-A-D-O-W. Everybody tries to stick an extra D in there, but it's M-A-D-O-W.com. So you can check my website out there. Um, my podcast, I don't have guests on my podcast, Laura. I'd ask you to be a guest, but it's just me. But one thing about the podcast is I do mystery shopper calls on every podcast, which are, um, I hate to say it, but they're scarily hilarious. It's, you're kind of like a fly on the wall in other dental offices. So. My podcast is called The Dental Practice Fixers. It's on all the regular podcasting channels. So just look up Dental Practice Fixers. Uh, my email address is rich at matto.com. It's R-I-C-H at M-A-D-O-W.com. And if you're a practice-owning dentist and just want to schedule a chat with me, go to, to matto.com slash chat. You can book 30 minutes on my calendar. It's for practice-owning dentists only, but I'll talk to you about anything going on in your practice. So, um, this was really fun. We always need fun in our lives. And I'm so glad that we got together and that you were able to invite me to come on your podcast. I hope your listeners enjoyed it. I had a great time and I'm excited to listen to that podcast. I think we're going to do it um, during our team meeting so we can hear the secret shopper calls. Oh man, they're unbelievable. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Rich Maddow. And we will see you when we see you. Thanks, Dr. Lara. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. I'm Dr. Laura Mock signing out. Remember, if you want to take that free course on correcting your employees, text the words love your employees with no spaces to 66866. Thanks, ladies. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Love Your Practice with Dr. Laura Mock. 
I would love to meet you. To join our movement, find the Facebook group called Love Your Practice and request to join. If you can't find it, just send me a message and I'll add you. You'll find me there helping all of my ladies to fall in love with their businesses and have a better life.